Welcome to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where every Jojo episode is reviewed by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. This is episode 10, and we're reviewing part two, Battle Tendency, New York's Jojo. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened previously in Jojo, so you've been warned. I'm so excited. We've made it officially to part two of Jojo, which is one of my favorite parts. Yeah, we made it through all the crap of part one. <laughs> hey, it, it has, you know, a, a special place in our hearts as, you know, JoJo fans. In the far recesses <laughs> of our hearts. It's still a good part. It's still important. But you're right. It's not as compelling or as exciting as all the other parts, which I'm sure is why David Productions made it nine episodes and mm -hmm. only nine episodes. Yeah. But again, it's still very precious to us jojo fans and i'm glad that we can now move on to part two um i, I just I, i'm so excited i immediately felt the uh the tone shift going from the last episode of part one to this first episode of part two and we've mentioned this before this is the part specifically this episode that gets everyone hooked on jojo for life that happened to me i think that happened to you as well right yeah i would say like I mean, part two as a whole um, was where I really got hooked on JoJo. But yeah, this first episode of part two uh, with the introduction of the new, I guess, progenitor of the Joestar lineage, uh, Joseph, like his stark change in personality from Jonathan Joestar um, is very apparent, but you grow to like him so much, even though he's, I guess, I don't know if this is the right term for it. Um, more of a degenerate than Jonathan <laughs> ever was. Yeah, I think that's fair to for for Joseph. And I'd say overall, um, even just outside of our, our main character here, compared to all of part one, part two immediately starts off with a bang. Um, this episode is jam-packed without being overwhelming, which is nice. We get a ton of exposition and backstory on what's happened since part one and the time skip of like, 49 50 years they actually say 49 in the beginning yeah and then they say 50 years um, throughout the rest of the episode but overall it's it's tons of action and you get thrown into the kind of the main plot or the main conflict right away so while part one moved somewhat slow you get part two which just fucking jumps in head first and wastes no time which i think matches the jojo that we have in this part very well although the title has it wrong because it says new york's jojo but Joseph is actually British. Yeah. I think he's born and raised in England. Um, and I think in the episode they mentioned that Speedwagon was the one that wanted him, Edina, um, and Joseph to, to move to New York for mm -hmm. his business or business reasons. Um, so I guess he's technically England's JoJo, but yeah. also Jonathan. But I guess since he's moved to New York, you can call him New York's JoJo. Yeah, know. you can get all technical with it but um the episode's called new york's jojo so just take it as it is i guess and i think with um with watching this episode i, I normally i forget that that joseph is actually english just because he spends so much time um in new york having you know lived there or does live there um but it was a nice reminder like oh yeah he's he's english and i think I don't I can't tell with the Japanese voice actors if there's any sort of accent they tried to add to Joseph's character. Mm -hmm. But I know in the dub, 
because I've accidentally pulled up YouTube videos of part two that were the dub and not the sub. And I know for a fact that they have the um, the voice actor for Joseph speak with an English accent, which is, I mean, props to them. I think that's a smart move because that stays true to the character. Um, although listening to it was kind of jarring. <laughs> yeah, it sounds over the top for a British accent. Um, but again, I only listened to it like the several times that I accidentally stumbled upon like a youtube clip of of the dub but it's all right they gave it their best shot yeah <laughs> but all right let, let's let's take a pause here uh, i really before we get into this actual episode i want to quickly talk about the jojo event that's actually coming up next week i think april 4th maybe yeah april 4th so um if you haven't heard about this it's the joestar the inherited soul um, animation special event. And I'm reading off of the JoJo wiki here, but they, they call it an overall celebration of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime. Um, JoJo the Inherited Soul is an exclusive event that will feature the voice actors of each of the JoJo protagonists thus far. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that just because um, for anyone who's watching JoJo for the first time, I don't want to spoil it too much. But they haven't really shared a lot of information about what this is going to be. I, I think in Japan they do these voice actor events um, so that fans can see the voice actors. They can get to know them as people a bit more. They can ask questions. But there's, yeah, there's not a lot of information that I've seen around, like, what's actually going to happen or be discussed during this special JoJo event. Have you seen anything? Um, Yeah, nothing about the event itself. Just a lot of things leading up to the event. Um, I know social media has released i don't know if these are like phone wallpapers or just uh art of the jojo protagonists for uh, people to enjoy or download or whatever um i know they've come out with like a slurry of merchandise and you know knowing jojo that merchandise is not going to come cheap <laughs> um especially like the the figures that they have which they do look really nice um and I hope that I have enough dispensable income to, to purchase one of these. But again, JoJo merchandise um, is hard to come by, I feel, if you don't have enough money for it. Um, and I think you mentioned this um, to me, and I think we mentioned it on the Strictly Instagram. Uh, they have a pop-up cafe somewhere in Japan that's dedicated to this event as well? Yeah, I, we posted an Instagram story. Um, I think it's still there. I think it's highlighted under our Strictly JoJo story highlights. <laughs> um, but basically, they have some sort of like JoJo world, as they call it. It, it sounds like a combination like pop-up theme park of sorts. Oh, okay. And of course, like it's only a limited time. I think it ends maybe in May um i'll have to go back and double check but uh i'm very sad because that means we won't be able to to be there and enjoy it but it looks like a lot of fun um and i think in addition to all of those things they also have like a, a mini series like a podcast mini series where each of the um jojo voice actors has like takes an episode or two and kind of just talks about jojo in in general um and they just kind of have like some nice banter and it's all again leading up to this big event that's happening um on april 4th and the biggest speculation across the jojo community is whether or not they're going to announce jojo part six at this event part six part six i could see it happening and i think a lot of people are holding out hope for it because it's been how many years since golden wind finished up i feel like it's been I at least like two or three right at least 
two years. Okay, hold on. Uh, I'm going to look this up really quick. Because I know the dub for part five, I think, came out in 2019. Or was, like, starting to release um, a year after the sub version came out. So in Japan, the series aired from October 6, 2018 to July 28th, 2019. So, yes, we are, we're coming up on two years since part five wrapped up. And that's pretty unusual for JoJo. They do have, they tend to have bigger gaps between their parts, but not something this long. I would say it's usually like six months to a year before they kind of announce the next part. And Mm -hmm. here we're going on almost two years um, and we still haven't heard anything about part six. Although I know that David Production has been working on other series. I think Fire Force is one of them. Yeah, and I think Cells at Work as yeah. well. And they've been they've been doing really well with those two shows. We we I haven't watched it. I don't think you've watched it either, right? No, I haven't watched either. But we, they have a, a good fandom behind them and they're putting in a lot of time and effort behind those. So it makes sense that they don't want to, I guess, spread their team out too thin. And honestly, I would rather them do things right and and give part six a a good adaptation then try to rush it out but the weight is killing me it's just it's brutal i want to see part six i mean i think it's very likely they'll make an announcement at this event otherwise they wouldn't make such a hullabaloo out of it for it to just be like a celebration of jojo um because i think they've had previous events like this and we've watched clips online where they've announced new parts that were to come out um for the anime um, and then they would like introduce the voice actors for that part um, so i have a feeling that, that this is going to end up being an announcement for part six or like that'll be like the special announcement at the very end of this uh this event if, if it doesn't happen that way the jojo community is going to be real salty <laughs> oh, and yeah. they're going to feel that they're going to feel the burn um, but if anyone's interested in seeing this event, um, I believe there are tickets on sale for the U.S. as well. I'm not sure about other countries, but for Japan, obviously, and then the U.S., um, tickets are available. I don't know too much about it. I do want to look into it. I think it's slightly pricey, um, but the event, it's it's supposed to go live at what would be like 2.30 a.m. our time. We're, in, we're on central time in the U.S., so I'm kind of de- like tempted to stay up and watch it live at 2 30 in the morning yeah, just set an alarm <laughs> yeah just so i can experience it live as it's happening um and of course pay the the money to to see it so we'll, we'll see if that ends up happening then we'll talk about it in our next jojo episode but either way um we're very close to that that event and we'll find out soon whether or not part six is officially going to be announced mm-hmm. fingers crossed but moving back into the episode first episode of part two uh, I do really quickly want to talk about Joseph because if you listen to our our introduction episode of Strictly JoJo, we ranked our um, top JoJos and Joseph is my number one. I absolutely adore him and I'm so happy that we can finally start to talk about him and his story. I feel that Joseph overall, and, and you get this from this first episode, he's incredibly loyal to his family. And if anyone even breathes the wrong way around them, he loses his temper and he'll do whatever it takes to keep them happy and safe. Like the worst thing in the world for him, as we've seen, is Irina or Speedwagon being upset or being in danger. And I find that incredibly endearing for him. Like his his personality is the exact opposite of his grandfather, Jonathan, but he's still super funny, cool, confident, and again, like endearing is just kind of how I love to put his his relationship with his family. 
Yeah, I think for my list, I had put Joseph at number two. Although, you know, after watching this part one, he was my number one for a while until I got to the other parts and I found another character that I really loved. Uh, but I would say he was a he was a close, very close uh, number one to that other character. <laughs> um, but yeah, just because he has like a really goofy personality that's, as I mentioned before, very different from Jonathan's, although it seems like he still has that uh, Joestar characteristic of, like you said, taking care of his family and, you know, fighting for them whenever he feels like they're, they've been wronged. Um, I think Speedwagon even says in this episode that he may look like his grandfather, but he has none of his gentlemanly qualities. Yeah. That is 100% accurate. I mean, he, he really doesn't. But at the end of the day, he still, I think, embodies those Joestar traits of, mm. you know, loyalty and family and doing the right thing. Because we also get that moment in the restaurant where, you know, Joseph says, whatever my fate is, I'll accept it. And that, that just is a, a Joestar thing to do. Yeah. And my illusion in our last Strictly JoJo episode, is it, it rings true. Jonathan's the noblest character in this series. <laughs> and that is affirmed here in the very first episode of part two. But, but yeah, I'm excited to get through part two for the wild ride that it is. And I wrote a quick note here. I think what's interesting about us going into part two is that against part one, it's a completely new setting with these new characters and a new protagonist. And I'm thinking, is there another series, whether it's anime or another media, that kind of follows this concept? The only thing I could really think of was like True Detective, although they're, I think those stories for each of those seasons aren't like directly connected. But I feel like this is the first time I'm hearing of a series where, um, I guess... Not that this is the first season, but like first part of a season takes place in this era. And then the second part of the season takes place in a different era. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that's one of the things that makes JoJo stand out um, against other anime. And there, there probably is another anime or two out there that follows a lineage, um, you know, like a family lineage or whatever. But again, like I think that's one of the big things that sets JoJo apart, plus the fact that we... And again, in this first episode, we see characters age, but still hold importance to the story and are still useful, capable characters. Um, like Edina, she she's aged, obviously, but she's still kind of the, the head of the household. She's the one um, kind of calling the shots to a certain degree. I'm thinking to that, that restaurant scene. Um, and then you have Speedwagon, who is still around. He's still, you know, a part of the Joestar family and has probably become more so important because of how close his bond is with um, with Joseph and, and Irina and the fact that he has this, this you know, big oil company and all of that, which will come into play later. But yeah, I think Jojo has a lot of unique traits um, and there's more that we can talk about as episodes and parts progress that, again, set it uh, you know, set it apart from other anime. Um, and it's really nice to kind of have those, um, those unique qualities that it keeps, it keeps Jojo fresh when you're watching yeah. a lot of anime. <laughs> yeah. It keeps it fresh and keeps it unique. Although I think it, it still sticks to its main themes. Um, as we see in this first episode of, uh, family and fate. And again, from this part onward, I feel like another theme is just 
general chaos and goofiness um just to kind of counterbalance those those serious um those serious concepts but let's go ahead and fly across the pond from europe to north america with the synopsis for part two episode one new york's jojo 49 years after the demise of the jovial jonathan at the hands or i guess head of the dastardly dio we find that an aged speedwaifu has become an oil baron and shows a slightly aged Hamon Master Strezzo a dangerous archaeological discovery in some Mexican ruins, a cavern wall full of spoopy stone masks, and a carving of a swole male being who seems to be in hibernation. But before we learn more about the mysterious muscular man from Mexico, we are taken north of the border to New York City, where a small-time pickpocket named Smokey steals the wallet of an Englishman and ends up in a tussle with some dirty cops. The Englishman ends up saving Smokey with a mixture of brute strength, carbonated cola, and that good old Hamon Energy, which incapacitates the cops but triggers his anxiety of Erina Bachan discovering his misdeeds. If you hadn't noticed by now, the Englishman is none other than the newest progenitor of the Joestar dynasty, Josefu Joestar. Back at the Mexican ruins, Speed Waifu requests Strezzo to destroy the mysterious carving. Strezzo in turn asks Speedwaifu about Josefu's Hamon abilities, which he noticed during a plane hijacking when Josefu was only 13, triggered after a hijacker gets blood on his shirt from Erina Bachan. The Hamon master then goes rogue and splits Speedwaifu's head open, stating his intent to use the power of the spoopy stone mask to become immortal like Dio once hoped to be, and to destroy the remainder of the Joestar family so that no one gets in his way. Completing our round trip back in NYC, Josefu berates a taxi driver but plays it off as hailing the cab for their dinner reservation when Erina Bachan questions his actions. We learn that he and Erina are the remaining members of the Joestar family as his father passed away in the Great War and his mother died of disease. Josefu gets into a scuffle at their fancy dinner where a patron drunkenly requests Smokey to be dismissed because of his skin color and he finds out through the patron's mafioso accomplice that Speedwaifu is dead as a doorknob thanks to a Tibetan monk. That monk just happens to show up later in his vampiric form at a cafe that Josephu and Smokey visit, and Josephu decides to exact revenge for his uncle's death by filling Strezzo with hot lead from a Tommy gun that sprung out of his ass. Welcome to part two, ladies and gents. And now on to our next segment of the show is that a music reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music. Now, there were only two that I found here, and this first one um, is the character Smokey, although I think the wiki that I looked up his name from uh, mentions his last name as Smokey Brown. I don't know if that's ever mentioned in this first episode, but Smokey is a reference to two different American uh, musical artists, Smokey Robinson, who is a Motown singer, and James Brown, who most of us know as the godfather of soul. Um, Smokey Robinson is known for the song Cruising, and I'm not talking about that awful one by Gwyneth Paltrow and Huey Lewis, <laughs> uh, but the very original one, which I think is in the GTA 5 soundtrack, because I remember cruising in my car in Los Santos while listening to that track. So I didn't know the um, the brown part. I mean, obviously we, his yeah. name is Smokey, but I didn't realize that his last name also had a connection to the music world. Yeah, I think it's mentioned in a later episode of this part um but yeah when i was kind of researching and looked on the jojo wiki and found that this was his full name that was interesting 
The second reference, and this is a very fleeting reference, is when Joseph calls out to Smokey and says, let's, I think he says, let's get out of here. Or, hey, Sticky Fingers, let's get out of here after their altercation with the cops. Sticky Fingers. Yes. (laughs) Um, Sticky Fingers is a reference to an album by the English rock band, The Rolling Stones, which is considered one of their best albums. And this happens to be a music reference that will pop up pop up again in a future part so just keep that in mind and so we'll sticky finger we'll sticky fingers itself right is that what you're referencing yeah five oh okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry Don't spoil it for everyone. <laughs> no no it's, i'm not you know it's, just, it's sticky fingers okay um well now it's time for the jojo meme rundown where we list each new jojo meme that appears in this episode um i only caught one in this one and it's going to be um not to like spoil anything but it's going to be a continual meme that'll pop up throughout part 2 and that is joseph's tagline your next line is or next you'll say or in the other variation that we saw on hulu now, now you'll say. say i think everyone kind of defaults to your next line is um but obviously depending on the translation for the subtitles it could be different, but that's uh, the, the biggest meme, I would say, um, to come out of part two. Um, you find that all over the place. And it's, again, it's a, it's a tagline for Joseph. He'll continue to use it, and he'll find uh, different quirky ways to, to get at his enemies through that line. I wonder if anyone's put together a list or compilation of all the times that Joseph has used this line um, in this part. Um, I wrote... The two times he uses it here, it's when he says, how did you know that bastard? When he's talking to the restaurant patron. And I think, again, to that patron, he says, so what, you little punk? <laughs> um, but I've been saying this a lot already, but you know, as stupid as Joseph is, he's still very keen at reading situations and you know, having some sort of intuition, uh, which I think was very similar to something that Jonathan in, uh, inhabited. Um, you can kind of get that through how silly this, this, your next line, um, meme is. I feel like Jonathan had more book smarts and Joseph has more street smarts. Like, Mm -hmm. again, going back to that intuition that Joseph has, that's definitely more of like a street smarts kind of quality or trait. But then Jonathan, I felt like there were a lot of parts where we were wondering, like things would go over his head and we're wondering like, how are you still alive? Like, how did you not notice that? Mm -hmm. But he's book smart um in the sense that like he you know discovered the true meaning behind the mask and kind of um you know gave this information to speedwagon who can now kind of take action on the fact that there are other masks that exist so again like i I think jonathan's more of that book smart kind of jojo and joseph is more of the street smarts kind of jojo because joseph seems like he it would be difficult to best him in a fight yeah that's a good way to put it like that differentiation between the two But if we have missed any memes in this episode, as always, please do let us know because we do not want to miss a single JoJo meme. They're all amazing. So for the episode itself, I want to call us back to the last episode of part one. So literally just the episode previous to this. Speedwagon says, I'll always be there for you too. Whatever you need, I won't be far behind, even if I get in the way sometimes. And he kept his word. Best waifu Speedwagon is back, motherfuckers. And now he's become best uncle Speedwagon. I love how the episode just starts with Speedwagon. They don't even try to show you Joseph Thirst. So like, let's let's get to the important stuff. Yes, Speedwagon is still alive. And yes, he's back. <laughs> it's funny that he's become an oil baron. But how did he stumble upon this archaeological site 
through that industry? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I think it'll probably be maybe touched on a little bit later, but mm. I think overall his his oil company is just kind of the fuel behind the Speedwagon Foundation. Was that a that, pun? Oh, maybe <laughs> an unintentional pun. Um, but I think it's it's the uh, the the fuel behind um, the Speedwagon Foundation being able to look at their real research which is mm -hmm. stuff about the mass and that that'll definitely be touched on in future episodes but as we learned here um that is something that speedwagon has been investigating is making sure that there are no other mass but there are unfortunately so when we get introduced to to joseph here a couple of things i noted um smoky says that he's 195 centimeters or 195 centimeter giant of an english man and if i understand that correctly that's six foot four almost six foot five mm -hmm. i'm like my god he's huge but what can you expect so was jonathan yeah jonathan is the exact same height which is uh interesting um and that again kind of affirms uh i think speedwagon says it later on that he looks like his grandfather without the the gentlemanly qualities <laughs> um another thing that i took away from this initial scene with new york um you know, we are also introduced to Smokey, who is like a low-level, I guess, pickpocket on the streets. But by the end of this scene, after after the altercation with the cops, um, Joseph ends up taking him, not into his, his own mentorship, but kind of leads him away from that life. And it, it parallels you know, how Jonathan had convinced Speedwagon to kind of give up his criminal ways. Um, so... Nice to see that part of, I guess, the Joe Star characteristic of leading people who are astray um, back down the right path. Maybe Joseph is a little bit of a gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> he's definitely a gentleman for the most part when it comes to Edina. I mean, we do get that moment in the cab where he's teasing her, but um, I think overall, like, his priority is making sure that she's happy and, and safe, and I would say that's pretty gentlemanly of him. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I never realized that. You're right. It is a, a parallel between Jonathan and Joseph that they, um, you know, met their their good friends, their, their companions, um, and did so in a way that helped kind of turn their life lives around um and hey we have best waifu speedwagon i guess we're gonna get best waifu smoky <laughs> yeah. and one more thing um with this scene i wanted to bring up is i think right before they put the title card for part two um joseph introduces himself in the style of james bond i noticed that too mm -hmm. that's so badass yeah like joe star joseph with joe star which i think is most likely an homage to again his british heritage even though the episode or the title of this episode calls him New York's Jojo. I thought this whole um, part two introduction was so fucking cool. Like to your point, like he, he introduces himself like James Bond and then you get that really cool music that comes up and it just splashes across the screen part two and then Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. And I'm like, the sequence is just, it's awesome. Like it just takes what we had in part one and like amplifies it and gives it this really cool feel. And again, that's why I got hooked on Jojo in, in this, uh, this first episode of part two, but going back to the scene with the, the officers, I had a couple more notes here. 
Um, I thought it was absolutely fucking disgusting that the officer picked his nose and wiped mm. his booger on Joseph's cheek. Like, there are very, very few things that make me queasy, like when I'm watching anime. And we talked about the um, the part in part one where Dio's holding Jonathan's, like, neck vein in between his fingers. Like, that was, that was gnarly. I did not like that. But for some reason, this booger thing is also, like, really nauseating to me. <laughs> so every time I watch it, I'm just like... Oh my god, I cringe real bad. I mean, yeah, it's unsanitary, and even things that are unsanitary in anime can make you kind of quit, not queeze, but uneasy. Squirm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt, and it's so funny because immediately after that, Joseph punches him in the face as he's picking his nose, and you see his like his index finger, the officer's index finger, rip through his nostril while like two of his teeth are flying out, mm. and that didn't bother me. I was like, that's cool, <laughs> okay, but the booger thing really bothered me. Yeah, then the following scene is Joseph using his hamon to decimate that cop's finger, which... And you see it like twist off with yeah. the bottle cap like spinning. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, like that, that's disgusting. But again, not as disgusting as the uncleanliness of that first cop. Of that big ass booger. Yeah. <laughs> that that cola moment, though, that that image, I don't know what you want to call it. That whole sequence was really, really cool, too. Like when he's kind of revving up his hamon, Smokey comments that he's glowing. And then you just see like the colors, like those Jojo colors splash across the screen and you get the the bottle cap like sl- like slow-mo spinning off the bottle and the the cola just like propelling it forward that whole thing was really cool to me i love watching that um, i think it's super stylized and just a, an interesting way to showcase his first use of hamon in mm-hmm. this part um, so i enjoyed that and speaking of his hamon i know this is a little bit later in the episode but um, when speedwagon and straightso are talking straightso asks about uh, Joseph's hamon abilities and through this conversation we've come to find that Joseph doesn't really know anything about hamon he just happened to inherit it through his lineage from Jonathan but it did skip a generation because his father did not inherit it and that whole concept is interesting to me because have we ever been told that hamon is an inherited trait before this um not that I recall I just know that I think um, Zeppeli mentions it as a, as a kind of life force. Yeah, and Zeppeli gives it to Jonathan by shoving his pinky in his diaphragm. Yeah. So it, we know that it's a an ability that can be given to someone, but this is the first time that we're being told, again, I think anyway, um, that it can also be inherited once someone receives it. It can be inherited through you know their bloodline. But it's also just fascinating that it did skip a generation here. Yeah. And again, compared to Jonathan, like Joseph seems to be able to just instinctively use his hamon. Going back to his street smarts. Yeah. He didn't need any sort of formal training. He didn't need a <laughs> pinky in his diaphragm. Yeah. <laughs> One quick note about the scenes at the Mexico ruins. I thought it was completely out of left field that Straitso had betrayed Speedwagon. But it, it kind of makes sense because I think the first shot of the episode you see um speedwagon obviously he's aged up a lot and straight so is also aged but not by the same rate as speedwagon did although i think speedwagon mentions that they've or they are at the same age and this is because straight so is able to use his hormone to kind of prolong his life but regardless he's still feeling the pains of age since hormone can't 
stage the aging process off completely. And so that, that, that makes him kind of envious of Dio's bid for immortality and makes him kind of start coveting the power of the mask for himself. Um, again, it's, it's a really sudden about face for Shreizo because we've seen him as an ally um, for the noble Hamon cause when he was battling with Tonpedi and with Dyer um, in part one. But I think this just emphasizes just how dangerous the power of the stone mask is and why Speedwagon wanted these masks and whatever this carved being is in the ruins destroyed in the first place. Yeah, I know it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, I felt the same way that um, Straitzel's betrayal was unexpected. And I think that's the point. But also, we didn't really know much about Straitzel to begin with. So it could mm-hmm. very much be in his character, in his nature to, you know, um, give in to temptation and, and take the dark path. Um, we, we basically saw him for like an episode or two in the last part, and he didn't really play a big part in any of the fights or the scenes. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird weird situation. Like, is this part of his character? Is it not part of his character? Like, we just don't know enough to make that judgment call, but we can only assume that he's good based on his actions in part one. Yeah, unless his black hair is supposed to be a giveaway to his, his dark nature. <laughs> um, I did note here that Straitso roundhouse kicks the shit out of Speedwagon's face and then does it so hard he actually cracks his head open. And I'm Mm. like, how dare you? How dare you crack open best uncle Speedwagon's head like that? Oh my God, it was horrible. Yeah, like we see Speedwagon for the first time in this part and he's already being injured. And (laughs) And he's older now. Like, man, take it easy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my God, are you going to kill this guy off in the first episode of this part? (laughs) And speaking of people who are older now, um, as we progress to the restaurant scene, best girl Erina is back, everyone. And she's now become best grandma Erina. And she's become more um, hardened in her old age. She's more of a badass, more so than she was in part one, and doesn't really take any of Joseph's shit. (laughs) (laughs) Backing up a little bit to the, the taxi scene, I loved how Erina got super pissed at Joseph when he asked if she's got something going on with Speedwagon. Like, it's very much in Joseph's character to ask something like that. Um, but it's also very much in Edina's character to get pissed at him and just be so appalled at such a question. And it's funny because Joseph has no clue how much Edina and Jonathan loved each other. Like, mm-hmm. we know as audience members, because we got to see their love, especially in the previous episode, the last episode of Part 9, um, where she was willing to die with him, even though she had no fucking idea what was going on. But Joseph, he doesn't understand that. And it seems like there's, um, based on what has been talked about throughout this first episode of part two, it seems like not a lot of information is passed, you know, passed on in the Joestar family about what's happened in the past. Like they're trying to protect their family members from things that have happened to their, their ancestors. Are they old enough to call them ancestors at this point? Um, I guess so. Although it, they're earlier Jonathan, generations, yeah, I guess. Because <laughs> Jonathan is just um joseph's grandfather yeah i guess ancestors a little bit too old there Mm -hmm. but what's happened with those earlier generations are trying to shelter them from that um so maybe in doing so they also haven't really told joseph very much about Irina and jonathan's relationship yeah and they also kind of i know Smokey is the narrator in this part but he kind of glosses over um the history of joseph's parents um that they like his father just passed away in the war and then his mother kind of died of disease 
So. And that his mother happened to be the baby that Irina saved in that yeah. previous episode, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see if they ever talk about those in more detail here. Um, but with Irina appearing in this part, um, I think it, it's also kind of a change of character for her for being like a, a very charming, lovely girl in part one to kind of being this hard ass <laughs> in part two. <laughs> And maybe it's because of, you know, stuff that, ha- like the stuff that happened with Jonathan and with Joseph's parents dying. Um, and her finding out more about what actually happened with Jonathan and Dio. Because she yeah. says that Speedwagon filled her in on some of it. Although, again, it doesn't seem like, like the way she talked about it made it seem like Speedwagon didn't tell her everything. She's like, oh, Speedwagon happened to mention something about like Dio and the mask you know, back in the day, but she didn't seem like she knew a whole lot or fully understood what was going on. Mm-hmm. But I think like she has to adopt this, this hard stance personality just so um, I guess she can kind of protect what's left of the Joestar family um, with, with Joseph. Which is why she's best girl, best waifu, and now best grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see in that restaurant scene, her and Joseph team up on, um, you know, that, that, that asshole, that grunt, whatever you want to call him, that that guy with the really ugly face to defend yeah. Smokey. You know, they, they said, like, you know, we, we can't allow someone to insult our friend like this. Um, and it's cool to see that that grandma and grandson duo come together. Um, we also get introduced again to one of Joseph's signature um, phrases, you know, your next line is, as well as his kind of signature moves, if you want to call him a move, where he can predict what someone will do or say next. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's like a move. Maybe it's more of like a tactic. I don't know what you'd call it. Um, but it, again, it, it showcases his street smarts um, and showcases his ability to overcome his enemies without actually applying too much brute force or really kind of putting himself in harm's way. Like the guy kind of beats himself up by punching that that coat rack yeah. with the two spikes coming out. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to watch that approach because with Jonathan, I felt like it was all brute strength. Like he was just very much like rock'em sock'em when it came to his enemies, but here Joseph's using a different approach. One comment I want to make about that patron, I don't know if he was drunk, but it's just funny how much he stands out. I guess you could call it like as an anime character compared to all these other patrons at the restaurant or even to Joseph, Smokey and Edina who are drawn like you know regular citizens and then you have this guy i wrote a note here he's like he's the jojo versus wario because he has like the weird ass pencil mustache and like something over his eye right or on his head it looks like he has like a pin on his head and you know like obviously that that's never going to be explained because the guy is incapacitated in this episode (laughs) um but it's just funny how they made him stand out so much more from the other characters in this scene. I wonder if it's to emphasize how obnoxious and, and like terrible his uh, his mentality is towards Smokey. But I also kind of wonder for people who have watched um, all of JoJo if this is kind of the start of the uh, the trope that we'll get with um, future enemies in JoJo. Because uh, yeah. yeah, he he you're right. He he does stand out almost obnoxiously <laughs> against the crowd. Mm-hmm. After that fight takes place, the uh, the mafioso guy, as Smokey calls him, um, approaches Joseph and Irina and tells them of the news of uh, Speedwagon's sudden death. And here we see Joseph once again lose his temper and punch the shit out of the mafia guy. I love that. It was unexpected. <laughs> and it's not because 
he's upset by the news of Speedwagon, which, you know, he is upset, but it's because this guy made Grandma Edina upset. And I'm like, I love it. I Again, I find this so endearing about him. Like, he loses his temper because someone he cares about is being, you know, uh, is being hurt in some way. And he's just so protective of Edina. Um, and, and, of course, she's very protective of him. And I love their relationship so much. It's just funny because, you know, the guy willingly gave them information. And he didn't say <laughs> Like, I don't know if he had an intention of extorting them after that for any reason, but it's kind of like Joseph says, thank you, and then just punches the guy in the <laughs> gut, which, it again, it's justified here because he he upset Irina, but it's just so funny that Joseph would do that. And again, that kind of <laughs> harkens back to him being like the degenerate <laughs> of the Joestar lineage. I also, um, this kind of, brings me back to the earlier scene with Smokey and Joseph when they first meet in the alleyway, how Joseph is just like so cool and confident and like overtakes those two officers. And then the second those two officers are incapacitated, he freaks out and he's like, oh my God, I lost my temper again. Um, and it was because, you know, he's protecting somebody um, that he feels needs to be protected. And then here it's the same situation where he, he loses his temper, but this time around he doesn't freak out about it because he knows that Grandma Edina won't be mad because she was, you know, she, yeah, she, she condoned him, it. <laughs> yeah, she gave him his blessing. <laughs> um, but then afterwards, you know, he, he comforts her and hugs his grandmother um, and willingly accepts the um, the responsibility that may befall him with the, the mask, and he does so without any hesitation. And as we mentioned earlier, this really resembles him being a Joestar, him being Jonathan's grandson, um, and Jonathan's resolve kind of is reflected in, in Joseph's action here. So while Joseph is super, super goofy, we get this moment where he's very mature um, and kind of almost is the the man of the, the family and, and protecting his grandmother and saying, you know what, if I have to deal with whatever the fuck's going on, I'll do it because I'm a Joestar. Which... You know, when he says this, like, if it's my fate, I accept it. And then earlier on in this episode, Smokey comments, like, most of the men in the Joestar family have only lived very young lives. Yeah. It feels kind of spoilerish because it makes you think, is Joseph going to have the same fate as Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, I could see that. It's, it's like something they're trying to hint at. Um, but it also plays up the fact that he's so willing to accept his fate, knowing that that fate very could very could likely be the similar fate that his father and that his grandfather, you know, suffered. Mm, which and is very noble of Joseph, but like it makes you think like we're only one episode into this part. Do we want to live through all of this and then just find <laughs> out that Joseph is going to meet a similar end to Jonathan's? Hopefully no spoilers, but we'll see yeah. <laughs> we'll see <laughs> it's so funny like us talking through these episodes knowing that we've watched the show like two three times over now um but we're gonna do it we're gonna do our best to um you know balance things out we'll we'll hint at things for those of you that have watched shoujo but we'll keep things as spoiler free as possible for those of you who haven't so yeah some a hint like that is is very ominous and um as a first time viewer like you don't know how to process that you're like what the fuck's gonna happen like I don't know. JoJo just takes things a very different direction than most other shows would. Mm -hmm. In the final scene at the cafe, um, when Joseph goes outside, they show his cold breath, which um, I thought was just such a nice little detail. Like he he does comment by saying like, "Oh, straight so I can't see your breath. Like why is that?" But I thought it was cool that they actually added in the like white fog, the white 
like smokeness, smokiness. What what do you call it? Like the the condensation yeah. becoming visible when he's talking. Um, I thought that was a nice little touch, and I, I kind of wish they did that more in anime. I think they do for like some winter scenes and stuff, but mm. I love those like re- very realistic details, and I really enjoy that they put that in this part. I think it was intentional because it was meant to show that Straitso had become a vampire because you don't see yeah. them breathe out any of that condensation because um, I guess or vampires don't have breath or whatever, right? I don't know. Is that a thing for vampires? <laughs> I feel or do like they not have warmth in their body? Oh, that yeah, that was my assumption. That, yeah, maybe it's that. They I thought they could still breathe. They just don't have yeah, warmth. They don't have warmth. And then we find out like Straito has fangs. And Which he's... is weird because Jonathan says that. He's like, oh, and you also have fangs. I'm like, I have not seen Straito open his mouth yet. How did you know he has fangs? Yeah, I don't know. And then I noticed this too. Like it's it's a younger version of Straito because that's the power of the stone mask is like it kind of gives you back um, some... Or allows you to suck life out of people. Yeah, I, I think it brings you back to your peak, mm-hmm. your peak performance <laughs> for anyone God. who's been uh, following our Attack on Titan episodes. Um, but I think that him being young and Joseph calling out, like, you look very familiar, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Mm. I think this kind of insinuates that Joseph does know straight so personally, like they've met at one point because he recognizes him. Uh, right because i was wondering about that at the restaurant scene um when the mafioso guy says it was a tibetan monk that didn't speed wagon and then joseph deduces that it's straight so i'm like does he know that because he's heard about straight so or has he actually met him and i think this kind of indirectly confirms that he has met him or at least seen him at some point and Mm -hmm. he's like oh you just look like a younger version of straight so yeah but before Straitso can even make his first move on Joseph, because he says, you know, I need to get rid of you before your powers awaken. <sighs> Let me just take a deep breath here. <laughs> Joseph pulls out a fucking Tommy gun <laughs> and unloads the entire thing at Straitso and the cafe, which has patrons in it. And Smokey. Like, Smokey's in there, too. Like, where the fuck was he hiding that thing this whole time? And like your synopsis, <laughs> I also wrote, did he hide it up his ass? And then, of course, you get Smokey with those same important questions. He asks the same thing, like, where did he get a, a Tommy gun from? It's just like, what? I love These are the, the amazing moments of JoJo that just keep me hooked. That just I, I just adore them so much. Like, there's it makes no sense at all, but that's fine. It's there, and you just have to accept it. <laughs> yeah, this was where the ridiculousness of JoJo kicks in for part two. Um and, you know, you could try to rationalize where he got this Tommy gun, but there was no way he could physically hide that in his jacket or in his pants or up his ass. <laughs> um, or if he, like, grabbed it from the mafioso guy. Uh, but, you know what, you, you, you'll just, you can just accept it for what it is. <laughs> you can call it one of Joseph's special abilities, I guess. Yeah. Making a, you know, materializing a Tommy gun out of thin air. <laughs> And again, the fact that he's shooting this gun or like shooting the bullets directly into the cafe, um, you know, at the expense of, you know, hitting a, like a bullet hitting one of the innocent patrons. Or his friend Smokey. Or yeah, or even Smokey. <laughs> it just, it, it only confirms more how stupid Joseph is <laughs> as much as he's trying to, you know, exact revenge for his uncle in this moment. The end of the episode is really cool, too, because we get that awesome slow burn, like, entry of Roundabout, which every time they do that, it is just so fucking badass. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, how badass is it when 
you know, Joseph holding a Tommy gun. It's still smoking from it being <laughs> unloaded on straight. So, and then he's got like tears running down his eyes um, because of, you know, the fact that he's getting revenge uh, for Speedwagon's death. Like the whole thing is just really cool. I, I absolutely love any time they give that, that slow burn entry of roundabout. It's, it's like one of the best endings of any anime ever. No, yeah, it was a very nice cue up um, for this first part of, or this first episode of part two. And it's also cool that we get a newer version of the credits uh, for part two as well. Because um, we see the stone mask at the very beginning, which I think was a carryover from the previous uh, credits. But it explodes this time to reveal the the carvings, um, a sort of like a panoramic of the carvings that we saw in the, the ruins at Mexico. And you get like the new images um, over kind of like the side scrolling background um of like the the new characters that we have yeah we get the last cameo of jonathan um in the credits and that's immediately followed by the first cameo of joseph which he's in this weird contorted leg pose if you see <laughs> of course it. he is you know jojo yeah. poses yeah, the jojo poses which are physically impossible to do i guess because there's no way like you have to just see the way that he's posed there's no way you could lift your leg and twist your torso to to nail that pose in real life but um you also again get Speedwagon. uh we first get him in his young version and then it smoothly transitions into his older version um, which is a nice touch and i feel like there are probably some hidden easter eggs in these carvings but i think the one interesting thing to note is at the very end of this credit scene or this credit sequence you don't get a stone mask, but we just get this this glowing red ruby with a cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll see the significance of that um, and how it plays out on this part. But yeah, it's moved from the mask to now a ruby. I like that they didn't change the ending either for um, part two. I like that they kept it as roundabout. Yeah. Because again, it's amazing. Please just keep it forever. Yeah, it fits in very well even in this new era of of the Joestar lineage. Last thing I want to mention about this episode, and it goes back to um, the, the cafe scene, we didn't see Joseph have like an immediate negative reaction um, to Speedwagon, to finding out that Speedwagon died back in the, the restaurant scene. Like he's upset, but he's more upset that Grandma Irina is upset. But I think that was just because he was holding in his his temper um, until he was able to face straight so at the restaurant or whenever he expected to see him next. Mm. So it's like, don't let that fool you. Like, just because Joseph didn't show immediately that he was upset by Speedwagon's apparent death, um, it's it's something that obviously is, is burning inside of him. And we see him lose his temper here by, again, materializing a Tommy gun. Um, when he comes face to face with Straight So and says, like, I'm going to get revenge for Speedwagon. Yeah. And he cries for Speedwagon, which is really important too. And I love that throughout this episode, you you kind of see him like really be compassionate with Irina. He teases her a little bit in the taxi scene or whatever, but he's very compassionate and considerate with his grandmother. Um, but he finds Speedwagon, his uncle, to be equally important. But he also kind of likes to pester Speedwagon a little bit. We get that in the the plane flashback where he's like, um, I think Speedwagon is like at gunpoint by one of the hijackers. And Joseph's just like, eh, it's not my problem. But really, like he does care. And then you get that here as well. It's like he he's focusing on Erina at the outset, but really his um, his 
emotions around Speedwagon dying is um, is something that culminates to this explosive scene, basically. Yeah, I think he mentions in that flashback that Irina and Speedwagon are the only family he has. And yeah. I think the reason that he, you know, held back his temper when he found out that Speedwagon died is obviously he doesn't want to upset um, Irina any more than she's already upset. Yeah, good point. Um, but yeah, it's like here his emotions just pour out through the bullets of this Tommy gun. <laughs> so, And again, that's what makes Joseph so endearing. He cares so much about his family and his friends, specifically Smokey. Mm-hmm. And that brings us into our final thoughts for part two, episode one, New York's JoJo. What did you think of this episode as a whole? I love it. I just love it so much. Again, like this is what hooked me for life on JoJo because leaving part one, it's I, I was confused as to why people are so obsessed with JoJo. And I was like, I guess I could see, you know, it's because the memes, the memes are pretty funny. You know, Dio's memes are, are especially um, good. But I, I just couldn't quite understand the fandom behind it all until I watched this episode, until I was introduced to Joseph. And I was like, I get it. I understand it now. And I tell everybody whenever I recommend JoJo, which is every opportunity I get, like most JoJo fans, um, to just make it to episode 10. If you can just make it to episode 10, you'll understand why JoJo is so good. And hopefully you'll be as obsessed as the rest of us. But what about you? What's your what's your take on this first episode of part two? Yeah, I have similar thoughts. I thought it was a very great introduction for part two that introduces us to a wackier member of the Joestar lineage. But I think that makes him more endearing and someone that you can really attach to uh, compared to uh, Jonathan, saying as, as noble as Jonathan was. But I feel like here, like you said, Joseph is more street smart. And I think he's a character that is a little bit more down to earth that we can kind of relate to a little bit more. Yeah, that's a good point. He is more relatable because right off the bat, he's more flawed than Jonathan ever was. Mm -hmm. Um, Not to say Jonathan didn't have his flaws, but Joseph certainly has his flaws, his temper being one of them. And yeah, I agree. That makes him far more relatable. Yeah. And I think the other thing to take away from this first episode is, you know, despite the, the threatening name of part two, which is battle tendency, just from this get-go, it seems like it's a part that's not going to take itself too seriously like Phantom Blood did. Although we still have the threat of, you know, the stone masks are still at large and they could be um, exploited for the wrong reasons. But you have this goofy protagonist who's somehow going to mitigate that threat, however it's going to happen whether he'll just continue pulling Tommy guns out of his ass or (laughs) predicting his enemies' next moves or lines. And that wraps up this episode 10 of Strictly JoJo. Welcome, everyone, to part two. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com, to share your thoughts on JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You'll also find more info on Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. Thank you so much for listening and sharing our love of JoJo. Stay weeb, everyone. To be continued.